0: wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff
1: give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and i'm on board Mm.
0: Ankle back. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hello. Happy Monday. I'm a little bit late. I am not recording uh, at the um, previously broadcast time, but I am a loner today. I'm just doing a quick little live broadcast just to talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on in the Mormon world and some of my opinions. Now, how many of you (laughs) are obsessed with the Lori? Vallow Daybell trial. I am, I will be the first to admit it. Um, I am listening as much as I possibly can. I'm starting to understand that I can probably listen to the recaps from the East Idaho News and then not have to listen to the full day of um, deliberations and, and testimonies that are being given on the stand. And um, Gosh, what is Nate's last name? But Nate at East Idaho News does a recap every evening and pretty much you can figure out what's going on. And also, Hidden True Crime, I think that's what the podcast is called, Um, Lori and her husband, Dr. John, do a fabulous recap. And so that is saving me hours of me not having to listen, Um, but it has brought up so many things to think about as a former member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a former temple worker in the Portland, Oregon temple. I was a temple worker for five years and with the knowledge that um, the understanding and the knowledge that I had of certain principles that the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gives out, listening to Lori and Chad's interpretation and how they um, use that interpretation to justify their actions is incredible and very, very interesting. But anyway, so that's what I've been spending a lot of time on. But I also wanted to talk a little bit today about the um, Elder Kyle S. McKay's talk. He gave a devotional at BYU, Idaho. I believe the date was April 25th. And um, it's interesting as a former believer, but I, I, I hate to say that because I was a former believer, but I also questioned in my soul, And uh, certain things that I would hear and I would think to myself, that that sounds a little off, but oh well. But oh well is the answer to every time you had any kind of doubt, right? Because um, Elder McKay's talk was very specifically about doubts. It was another version of a stay in the boat, doubt your doubts uh, type of talk. And I love what... um, I love you guys. I love referencing other podcasts that I listen to because there are so many wonderful podcasts out there. And I don't mind sharing their their um, names and and encouraging you all to go and listen to them because they all have something else to offer. And um, one of the things that I heard, and I think it was from Nemo the Mormon, is that what he goes by, Nemo the Mormon? Anyway, N- Nemo was, he brought out the fact, and I've heard this from other people. Um, he brought out the fact that um, Elder McKay is a lawyer by trade and by training. And the purpose of a lawyer is to represent their client. Even listening to the Laurie Daybell Vallow trial, you have one group of lawyers that have been assigned to defend Lori Daybell. You have another group of lawyers that were hired to prosecute Lori Daybell. And so they each have their jobs there. It does not matter what their confirmation bias is. They have been given a job and their job is to either defend or prosecute someone for a crime of some kind. So the fact that we have a a historian, an historian, in a position of being in charge of the history, almost 200 years of history for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but has no historical background, has no historical training, but literally is a lawyer. Therefore, he has been hired and they do receive a salary. So I have no problem saying hired. He has been hired to defend his client. And the client is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what Nemo, Nemo pointed out is that with this latest talk that was just given on April 25th, so not that long ago, and happy May Day, by the way, um, this talk was basically, it's almost like they've they've thrown out the, the white flag. They've given up trying to apologize Or defend the church's history. So now what they've done is they've just decided to just tell you that even if the history is true, (laughs) you should ignore it. And you should, um, it doesn't even matter if you believe it. If you have faith in the church, the history means should mean nothing to you. Now I'm going to try and show you some clips. Now I am starting to learn. I am forcing myself to start start to learn how to use all this technology, but I'm not very good at, good at it yet. So I'm going to just kind of fall back on sharing my screen and we'll see how that works. But I just want to remind you of a couple of things before we get started. First of all, um, I remember when I was a believing member of the church and someone would say something about the church being a cult. And I remember thinking that's absurd. It doesn't even make sense. I didn't I didn't even think about it or even weigh in on that idea. Until I started to see the indoctrination and the manipulation of information that I started to look at the church as having a lot of cult-like um, actions. And so it's, you know, the word cult, of course, has a very nefarious meaning to it. And it does automatically kind of rile people up. But if you just listen to traits of cults, you can see similarities, okay? Okay. So no one is uh, assigning us uniforms yet. Um, We haven't been asked to do some kind of a 17 million people suicide pack yet. Um, But hey, there's time. I mean, you never know. But I just want to remind you that cults are known for their ability to indoctrinate individuals into their belief system. That's one of the things that makes A group or an organization kind of have a cultish, you know, kind of air to it. Um, The process of indoctrination typically involves several stages. um, And you can kind of see that in the stages that the church is going through right now, where they started out with the gospel topics, essays, trying to inform members or give excuses or apologize for past church history and, and give a very whitewashed uh, version of of the history. So they started out with that. They soon found out that the gospel topics essays were not answering people's questions, not satisfying their curiosity and building faith, but rather actually causing people who went to the LDS.org or however you find it now and looked for gospel. And they started reading the gospel topics, essays. And once they did, that was actually the switch. That was actually the, oh my gosh, this is all lies. And so now they're trying to figure out, oh dang, the gospel topics, essays didn't work. So now we'll just start saying that, look, even if you read historical truths, do you have faith? I mean, do you have faith in the system? So that's kind of the new thing. The first stage of any kind of cult activity trying to bring you into their organization is love bombing. And I think as members of the church, I don't think we looked at ourselves as love bombing. It was uh, called something else. It was called fellowshipping, And um, but it's a way of uh, getting members to, you know, join the the cult through affection and attention. Um, If you're watching the Lori Vallow case, you can see where Chad used this when he would give blessings to both Alex and his soon-to-be wife. Um, He would tell them how great they were, how the different gifts that they had. And so that's very common in the church, telling people how um, special they are, um, you could you know, if you have not experienced that, you now, I was 12 when I joined the church, so I didn't experience that, but my parents did, they were wined and dined. Um, it took them a while once they started taking the discussions, but it also took lots of dinners over at the Bishop's house and lots of invitations to activities and things like that to convince them that this was what they should do is be baptized. So, um, so After they get through with the love bombing stage, then they follow it up with the information control stage. And I think that's where we're at right now. And this is where members are restricted from accessing information that contradict the cult's beliefs. And and then finally, the cult will use various forms of psychological manipulation, to reinforce their beliefs and control the behavior of their members so we have gone into restricting you know actually being told don't listen to these and and elder mckay actually does that it's like if you're getting your information from other people um how how terrible to find out that a good friend that you had who had a deep testimony of the gospel, has left the church and is now giving you information and wanting you to listen to these new historical truths that they have found. So don't listen. Don't listen to them. Don't read anything that doesn't come from Deseret News um, or Deseret Bookstore. Oh, Deseret News, too, as as a matter of fact. Um, but, um, you know, actual like ten day, remember the ten day fast from any social media that was given. So there's a there is a, I think, very acknowledgeable, no matter what side of the fence you're sitting on, restriction in what where you should be getting your information. The church has very definite ideas of where you should be getting your information. And I have to tell you a story. When I was a temple worker, I worked with a, a, a woman who her and her husband were both from uh, the same city that I was living in. And um, they were both temple workers. They worked the same night as I did. And um, I was sitting in the waiting room. We were waiting to go to our assigned stations. And I mentioned to her that I was in the process of reading a book by Deepak Chopra. And she was like, oh, oh, you should be very careful. You don't want to read anything outside of Deseret books or, or anything that comes from our leaders because you just don't know what kind of information you could find out. And I was like, okay, well, these were pretty safe, kind words from Deepak Chopra. So and then later on, you know, during our 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 time that we spent on our, our assigned, I worked on Tuesday evenings and uh, there would be a lunch break. So everyone would everyone would go down to the cafeteria and I remember her saying, I think I brought up some movie that I had seen. And um, she said, Oh, we don't, we don't watch anything but G or PG movies in our home. And I was like, wow. Okay. And that's a whole nother podcast about movies. Um, Mormon Land. I really encourage you to go to Mormon Land. Their last podcast was um, they were talking to a UVU professor about how there are some really, really great movies out there that to be a socially mature adult, you should have some knowledge of what's going on in the world. And one of the great ways is to watch some of these great movies, like Schindler's List is one of the ones. Anyway, come to find out this particular couple that I worked with in the temple. um, He was eventually arrested for child molestation. Um, He was a primary teacher. And during primary on Sundays, he was molesting a young girl. And um, he was found guilty. He is, I think, still serving time in prison. She continued to work in the temple Um, even though she completely believed he was innocent and supported him. And I remember even after he was convicted and sent to jail, we were sitting there waiting for a new bride to come out of her um, question and answer session that every new person that goes to the temple has a chance to sit down with the temple president and the matron and ask anything they want. While they're inside the temple, they can ask anything they want. And so there was a young bride in there asking the temple matron questions that she may have. Um, Sidebar, I remember when I first started working in the temple, the temple matron took me in and said, do you have any questions? And I said, well, I do have a question. Why do the women veil their faces? She said, I don't know. So anyway, that was interesting. That was quite a few years ago. But anyway, um, so I was sitting there with this sister and we were waiting for this young bride to come out because then we were going to take her to washing and anointings and all of the other stuff. And um, she said, oh, you know, I wonder, I wonder if my husband and I will ever be able to, to be uh, a part of this. And I was like, a part of what? And she said, you know, to be a temple president and a matron. And I was like, I'm thinking no. <laughs> I'm thinking, why are you thinking, yes, that that might be a possibility? But following the Lori Daybell case of the crazies that are in the temple, just kind of solidifies this idea that there is no such thing as discernment. These people that have temple recommends, you don't know who you're, you could be sitting next to somebody that's planning on killing their husband or wife, right? You don't know. It's such a fallacy, part of the indoctrination. But anyway, so um, while the tactics that are used by cults might seem extreme, they are often very effective. Obviously, the combination of love bombing, information control and psychological manipulation can create a powerful bond between the cult and its members. And I see that. I see people who after if you go to the YouTube and you watch the BYU devotional with Kyle McKay and the comments are, this was beautiful, you should listen to this, share this with your friends and family. And uh, it, you know, they just go on to say that this bond can be difficult to break. I mean, how many people have tried to get their loved ones out of cults, even when individuals are presented with evidence that contradicts the cult's belief? And I just think that is a great preface. Um, You know, one of the things that that disturbs me the most about Elder McKay's words, you know what, let me see if I can go to let me play a little bit first. And then I'll go on. So I'm going to try this and see how this works. Let's see if we can figure this out. Okay. We are going to go with, here we are. Okay. All right, here we are. So Kyle S. McKay, LDS Church historian and recorder. Uh, This was a devotional that was given on April 25th. So let's see if we can listen to a little bit of his words. Okay, we're gonna fast forward it a little bit because we do not need that horrible introduction. Okay, let me find it. I have desired to the Okay, in that particular part, he was talking about Parley P. Pratt was very concerned about Joseph Smith. And he tried to convince John Taylor uh, that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet and that that what was going on was not acceptable and was not from God. And what's funny at this part is um, Kyle, Kyle McKay says, you know, John Taylor, a Canadian was firm in his testimony and uh, he didn't listen to Parley P. Pratt. And it was like, but. John Taylor was from England. He wasn't from Canada. He was not a Canadian. He may have been living in Canada for a while, but he was actually 24 before he left England, so that was any interesting. So let me see if I can find this. I thought it was going to stay where I put it, but evidently not. So let's see. There we go. And his response to Parley was instrumental in Parley's quick return to the church. So he said, you know, doubt your doubts, stay in the boat basically. So let's move on here.
1: Evidence these arguments are on some level appealing and believable, for there are many who believe them. The existence of such evidence and arguments should neither surprise nor shake you. I invite you to read again 2nd Nephi chapter 2. It must needs be that there is an opposition, or in other words, an opposite in all things. Why? Because the Lord God gave it to man that he should act for himself. Wherefore, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. In short, agency, that is our ability, our responsibility to choose for ourselves, is essential in all things, including and beginning with belief. In order to preserve our agency in the matter of belief, there must be opposites from which to choose, reasons to believe and reasons to doubt. God does not give us doubts, nor is he the author of error, but he allows them because it is absolutely critical that you and I choose for
0: ourselves to believe. Okay, so what's very scary about this comment is he's basically talking about Satan. And he's saying that the plan is that God does not give us doubts, but Satan gives us doubts. And if you have spent any time doing any kind of research into where did the concept of Satan even come come from, it's my understanding that there is no Satan in the Old Testament but that it was a creation and it is a, an interesting creation in my mind because it, it gives Satan more power than God has. And I really encourage you to go back and listen to Elder McKay's talk because it's very scary when he says Satan has the ability to appear as an angel of light which makes it very confusing for people to understand where anything that they're feeling or thinking is this thought coming from God or is it coming from Satan? And basically what elder McKay is saying is if the thoughts and the feelings that you're having do not align with our teachings, then they are from Satan. And that's scary and very cultish. And I think what that wants what I want to bring up under those conditions is the idea that our gut means nothing, that our instinct means nothing. And it's been very interestingly studied that they are now finding that it isn't just the brain that controls that often it is the stomach that will give the brain an indication that there's something up and that it, we should react to it. And so There's a wonderful article uh, and it says um, when we are experiencing a feeling of fear in our stomach or the hairs on the back of our neck are standing up, we shouldn't stay where we are. Instead, leave the area and then try to figure out what is going on, even if you can't explain it. Remember, the feeling that something is wrong is a gut instinct. And the time we try to figure out whether it is a valid feeling or not could jeopardize our safety. The adage, better safe than sorry, certainly applies here. And when I say that I was a believing member, but my gut would tell me things. Like, for example, I remember it's been over four years ago talking with um, Dr. Julie Hanks. Actually, I love her. And I was saying that, you know, I stopped reading The Doctrine and Covenants years ago because my gut told me something's up. I could feel as I read these revelations that just happened to appear magically, um, very specifically for specific individuals, that they always seemed to bless the life of Joseph Smith. They were always some revelation that encouraged them to give him money, build him a house, um, let let him borrow their horse and cart um you know mortgage their farm go bankrupt and get divorced because you need to support the book of mormon of course i'm talking about martin harris Um, all of these things they're always beneficial to joseph smith which i suppose if you were believing you would say well that was beneficial to the church but it ruined people's lives and i also noticed that joseph smith had a way of always having revelations for people that had money and people who could serve his interest very well. So um, I, I just had a gut instinct that something was off. So my, I, I didn't have any other knowledge besides my gut instinct. So I just said, I'm not going to read this anymore. I, something's off here. So it goes on. Number two, you choose to trust someone even when your gut instincts are telling you to question them. Just because someone has a title, or an advanced degree doesn't mean they have earned our trust. We tend to take someone's word on something if they have the right credentials, even when our gut instincts suggest we question them. Think about a doctor's visit. We go in because something is wrong and we're told we're healthy. We leave feeling as if something is not quite right, but we put our faith in what the doctor has told us. It's important that we continue to question our gut instincts until the right answers up here. And this I I don't know if I'm going to be able to find this, but this goes to the basic overall message that Elder McKay is giving, which is even if what we're telling you is or even if the church history is true, you should still believe what we're telling you. And it brings me to, let me see if I can find this one. Let me see if I can get out of my way. Okay, let me see if I can find this. I love, I love this little, um, little thing here. This is a quote that was, um, okay, let's go down here. Okay, I love this quote. Um, Stupidity is also a gift of God, but one mustn't misuse it. This is a quote from Pope John Paul II, and I thought that was interesting. Stupidity is also a gift of God, but one mustn't misuse it. Um, I thought that was really good, but mainly, basically, uh, what uh, what he is, uh, Kyle is saying is that, um, let let me actually see if I can read it here. He says, answers from God in response to earnest inquiries come by the power of the Holy Ghost, speaking to your mind and to your heart, your spiritual sense of learning, trying to understand the things of God by some way other than the spirit of God is like trying to understand the flavor of food by listening to it. You're using the wrong sense, Elder McKay said. Become acquainted with and fluent in the language of the spirit, he urged, the light and knowledge needed to make one's foundation sure and certain will come over time in increments. I promise you that these increments will aggregate into a witness of Jesus Christ and his gospel that will be sure and certain, even as reasons to doubt continue to swirl and hiss about you daily. Having perplexing questions from reasons to doubt is not a problem, Elder McKay said, but please understand finding answers to these perplexing questions ultimately is not the solution. The solution is a sure and certain foundation whereon, if you build, you cannot fail. That foundation is Jesus Christ and his gospel, the fullness of which is found and taught in this church. And I thought that was interesting. So basically what he's saying is that, um, even if you find answers to your questions, or if you have doubts and you research it and you find out that your doubts are validated, no, that is not from the Spirit of the Lord. That, that is not from building a foundation of faith. And it brings me to the interesting thing that I thought, all right, let's break down Christianity. I know, I know that members of the Church of Jesus Christ believe that they have the only true faith. But what Elder McKay is asking us to do is to disregard our gut feelings, disregard the doubts that we have, and and just go along with what they're saying. And I want to ask them, well, it's like, okay, you know, Jehovah Witnesses believe that a human must um, not sustain his life with another creature's blood. And they recognize no distinction between taking blood into the mouth and taking it into the blood vessels. It is their deep-seated religious conviction that Jehovah will turn his back on anyone who receives blood. And they take this from quotes out of the Bible from Genesis 9.4, Leviticus 17.10, and Acts 15.29, which prohibit ingesting blood, and that Christians should therefore not accept blood transfusions, or donate or store their own blood for transfusions, and specifically, their beliefs include blood represents life and is sacred to God. So, those who are members of the Jehovah's Witnesses um, religion, and they uh, uh, adhere to all of their principles, believe that in spite of how how they may doubt that a blood transfusion might save their life, if they are true believers in God and their and their beliefs, they will not have a transfusion now personally, this is my story. Um, I received a transfusion, a blood transfusion at birth. The reason that I am here is because of a blood transfusion. Um, I was born what they call an RH baby, which means that my dad had B positive or B negative. My mom had O positive. Their bloods don't mix very well. My brother was fine, but then the antibodies built up. And then when I came along, the antibodies actually attacked my blood cells. And so therefore I was born what they called an RH baby. And I almost died. If it wasn't for my grandmother who noticed my jaundice yellow coloring as I lay in the nursery She alerted the doctors. She alerted the doctors and said something is wrong with this baby. She's turning yellow. And they snapped into um, attention and I received a blood transfusion, which is the only reason why I'm still alive. Now, if my parents would have been Jehovah's Witnesses, there would be no other children. My brother would have been their only child and I would not be here. And Then my other story of the beauty and the the wonder of blood transfusions is when my last child was born. Um, I have six children altogether and my five previous children were all born naturally in a naturopath clinic with no drugs or any kind of intervention. It was beautiful. Um, But when my sixth child was born... I actually, I did not know this ahead of time, but I actually, when my water broke and I went into labor, I started hemorrhaging and I had placenta previa. I lost a ton of blood. And by the time I got to the hospital, um, they they had to do an emergency cesarean. And I also had to receive some blood um, because I would have died. And it would have been classified as died in childbirth. I would have died, my son would have died. And if it wasn't for the science and the technology of blood transfusions and our belief that this is a gift from God, this knowledge is a gift from science, I would be dead. So, you know, the, it's interesting, the history of blood transfusions. It, it started in 1665. The first recorded successful blood transfusion occurred in England. Physician Richard Lauer keeps dogs alive by transfusing blood from other dogs. And then a couple hundred years later in 1818, a British obstetrician, James Blundell, performs the first successful transfusion of human blood to a patient for the treatment of postpartum hemorrhage, which is exactly what I had. This was in 1818. So this beautiful, wonderful doctor performed the first successful transfusion of human blood to save someone's life for postpartum hemorrhage. And so I just think what, what if one of our prophets, seers and revelators decided on a whim that, um, you know what? I don't think I believe in blood transfusions. I I don't know, I mean, it just, uh, I was reading Genesis and Leviticus and Acts and it says we shouldn't take in blood. So since I'm the new prophet, I've just decided that, uh, we're not going to do blood transfusions anymore. Uh, I don't believe in them. I don't think it's a good idea. It says right there in the Bible, God said, blood transfusions are off the table, folks, forget it. Okay. And if you're a true believing following Mormon, and if you're following the advice of Elder McKay, you would go along with it. You would say, well, I don't know. I don't understand it. I, I doubt that that can possibly be true for 200 years. We've been doing blood transfusions fine. And and uh, now all of a sudden the prophet says it's not true, but you know, I have faith. I have faith that this is a prophet, seer, and revelator. So you know what? It's 2015, and, uh, and I'm just giving you a, a hypothetical case here, but let's say it's 2015. Uh, Russell Nelson has just been made prophet. He's decided through revelation that uh, blood transfusions are no longer okay. And everybody goes, oh, well, sounds like, a, you know, nothing we can do about it. It's from God. And so, you know, for three years, uh, people that had babies, people that had um, postpartum hemorrhaging, people that were in car accidents, um, uh, too bad, so sad, you just died. And then three years later, President Nelson would say, you know, I was just thinking think I got that. I think I, I was I don't know why, but for some reason, God has now given me a new revelation that blood transfusions are back on the table. So let's all go. So you look back on those three years of the hundreds and thousands of people that would have died because they could not have a blood transfusion. But now new word from God is blood transfusions are back on. We're all for those now, which is exactly what happened with President Nelson when he put down the baptism a revelation on baptizing, baptizing children that had um, LBGTQ plus parents. And then three years later, he went, oh, mind." It was, I don't know. God said he didn't know what he was thinking. He just, he changed his mind. But the people that were hurt in those three years, it's extraordinary. And the same thing with the priesthood ban for 150 years, people's lives were, were you know faithful, wonderful, devoted members of the church continued to attend, even though they weren't allowed to go to the temple. They they were taught that if they weren't in the temple, if they weren't sealed as a family, they would not be together for time and all eternity. But they still continued to go. And then 150 years ago they went, I don't know what we were thinking, but God, you know, he didn't think it was time for you guys to have an eternal family. Now it's okay it's fine. Go ahead. It's, you know, so this is, this is the problem. You know, there's, it's not over. There are so many things that are coming up. Um, The fact that I am no longer a member of the church, but my husband is is still a believing member. We have children that were born under the covenant. Will we be together as a celestial family? Will he be with his new wives? Um, Polygamy is still alive and kicking in the new world, uh, in the next world. So, is he going to just take on other wives and all of all of my children that I raised are going to be given to some other family and they're all going to live in a commune? I don't know. No one knows. They can't even explain it themselves. But you know, now they're saying Oh, um, no, we never taught you that you would have your own world and you would be the God and then you would have multiple wives that would produce spirit babies. And then those babies would come to Earth and take over the physical body. We never told you that. Where did you get that? So they're they're doing that whole gaslighting thing. So this entire talk by Elder McKay is one big fat gaslighting session. Let me see if I can find um, the other few closing words that he has that he he. Uh, so beautifully shared with us let me try one more time see if i can get this to work all right now let's see what we got going on here i think i probably have learned already that it's not where i thought i was stopping it but i'm going to move it up here
1: Done something that has become someone else's reason to death. We sometimes have an unrealistic expectation that God must somehow search out or raise up errorless people to do his work and be his church. You're familiar with the statement made in 1890 by William Burriff. He said, The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of his church. Straight. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place. What is that statement? Unfortunately, some have interpreted or distorted it to mean that the Lord would never allow church leaders to make a mistake. That is simply not the case. It has never been the case. The scriptures repeatedly show that God does his work and Those humans make mistakes sometimes, even while God is using them for his purposes. Consider how many times in the Old Testament God used the mistake of the world to establish or preserve his covenant and guide, sustain, and deliver his covenant.
0: Okay, first of all. There's a difference between human error and actual thought and covenants and doctrine and policies that are put into place um, that have been given a lot of time, a lot of contact with uh, groups and communities and and you know, sending out inquiries and research and all of this stuff. Those are not mistakes. That's not a human error. You know, marrying 34 women, other men's wives, that wasn't a mistake. He didn't like fall. Joseph Smith didn't accidentally fall into a church while there was a wedding going on and rolled up to the front and somehow became the groom uh, by mistake. Okay. These, these things were done, um, intentionally. The reason I'm showing you this picture is because I want to, I want to lead you as elder McKay instructed (laughs) to, if you have doubts and if you have questions as why people would leave this wonderful organization, um, I encourage you to watch this particular podcast. It's called myth vision podcast. And he had a, um, a whole series, I think, I think there were like 20 different hours, 20 hours of um, interviewing and he interviewed Bryce Blankenagle and David Fitzgerald and this is a, a picture of this is Bryce up here in the, in the left hand corner, David in the bottom and then this is Derek the, that leads the podcast. Uh, Bryce was a very influential in my re- deconstruction because he had this podcast called Naked Mormonism. And um, and then David is not a member of the church. He's a never mo, He's never been a Mormon of the church, uh, member of the church. But he wrote this book, The the Mormons. And it's a um, just kind of a quick it's a quick read. Um, it's on audio if you want to get to it, but it just kind of summarizes. It's a quick, it's like a Cliff Notes version of church history. But Bryce, I have to warn you, Bryce gets very, very like, mm, I mean, there's some F words being you know, thrown around and he gets angry, but his knowledge of church history is phenomenal. So the, the reason I'm sending you to Myth Vision is because Bryce is not able to really, um, use the emotion that he does on his own particular podcast. So the language is very safe. It's all PG 13. And, um, but his knowledge of dates, times, places, and people that were involved in church history is amazing. And so I would really encourage you to go to myth vision podcast and look under their playlists, type in Mormonism, and you will find all of the part one, part two, part three, um, Uh, uh, episodes of this particular podcast. Now, I love this particular quote, too. This is also from Pope John Paul II. It's an excuse is worse and more terrible than a lie for an excuse is a lie guarded. And I love that quote because it's been brought to everyone's attention. that It's not human error. It's not people saying, oh my gosh, you know, God came down and told me that Adam on Diamond was the new Zion, that we should all gather in Jackson County, Missouri, that Jesus was born, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, everything was in Missouri. Um, It's not finding out that that's probably not true and that the church doesn't even believe that anymore. Um, It's not the errors that have made people um, leave the church. It's the lies. It's the cover up it's like Watergate. The cover-up was worse than the lie. And I have to tell you, when I first heard, and this seems very simplistic, and you may think I'm naive to do this, but the first thing that made me go, what, was when I found out about the rock and the hat. And that led me down the rabbit hole. Because if you lied about that, then what else are you lying about? It's not The history, it was the lying about the history, the cover-up and the whitewashing of history. When Elder Cook, a couple of years ago in conference, said that Joseph Smith was in the jail because Missouri was a slave state and Mormons didn't believe in slavery, that's a lie. It's not the truth. And, you know, as other people have pointed out in their podcasts, It's the fact that if you are a normal human who makes mistakes, the way to have people accept you and love you in spite of your mistakes is to acknowledge your mistakes. It's to apologize for your mistakes. And that's the problem. There's never an apology. I live in Arizona. The Supreme Court just passed the law that the church still has the ability to not call the police. If someone comes in and says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm uh, sexually abusing my children. The church is not required to call the police. So the little girl that just received the um, the church also just settled a, 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 um, a suit because the uh, the mother had gone to the bishops and, and the other stake presidents and people and asked them to please help her because her husband was abusing this child, and they didn't do anything. And they said, Don't, don't, you know, you, you will bring shame and guilt on your family. Don't call the police. And it wasn't until the girl told her basketball coach that her father was abusing her. The basketball coach spent no time, immediately called the police, and he was arrested and convicted of child abuse. The church did nothing. It's the cover up, it's the lying. It's not somebody making a mistake, it's not John Taylor you know, d- that said, Oh, Parley, come on, you're the one that brought me into the church. You're the one that converted me. Are you, you know, don't, don't believe that just stay with your faith. It's not a faith thing. Faith is something that you have no evidence for. It's not something faith is, is belief in something that can't be proven. It's not disbelieving things that can be proven. That's the most important part. Anyway, so there you go. I just wanted to bring that to your attention today and talk a little bit about it. And just, you know, when people have left the church, try to understand that it's not a decision that's made lightly. Uh, Most of the people that have left have spent between 30 and maybe their whole lives, 60 or 70 decades, seven decades or eight decades uh, that they've given to an organization that they loved. And they devoted their time, talents, and all their resources to. And then they found out that it was a lie. So that's what I'm trying to explain here. And again, my podcast, She Became Visible, I want to let you know that knowledge doesn't have a gender. Okay, knowledge is not male or female. But the voices that I highlight on She Became Visible are female voices, because I don't think there are enough of them out there. All right. There are a, not enough stories of women that are telling about how the church harmed them, how they believed so much, but then they found out truths and the dis- truths. Maybe they have children that are um, transgender or coming out as LBGTQ, and they're trying to work. They're trying to stay in the system, but it's not working because their children's psychics are being damaged, and there's suicide attempts. There's more to it than just, I don't want to do this anymore. I decided I love Starbucks. No, that's trivial. That's trivial. That's ridiculous to even think that. So anyway, that's my message for all of you today. And um, next week, I'm going to be um, highlighting another uh, book that I'm that I'm reading right now, that talks a lot about trauma, and I think it's very interesting to understand that oftentimes leaving the church is traumatic. And I love what this author says about trauma—that you know, there's no trauma Olympics. Your trauma doesn't um, override my trauma. Uh, you don't win a gold medal for having better trauma than my trauma. And um, so I love his book, and we're going to be we're going to be talking about that. And so that's what's on on stage for next week. In the meantime, um, if you want to go to BYU-Idaho devotionals, you can find it on YouTube, listen to the entire thing, and I'd love for you to comment on how you feel about his talk and and maybe hopefully I've made you um, think a little bit differently. I don't know. Um, that's what the purpose of the podcast is, right? Just to maybe get everybody thinking, get their gut juices moving. And by the way, I just, you know, all of all of you guys out there with your Marvel t-shirts, I have to show you my t-shirt today because I just want you to know. See, I'm not a lazy learner. I spent a lot of time in the last three and a half years reading and studying about. Church history, and actually it's led me down to American history, and it's led me down to world history, and, and uh, you know what they say, the winners write the history, right? But the job of a good historian, this is what differentiates a historian from Elder McKay, is a historian is seeking for the truth. It doesn't matter who the winner of the war was. They want to know the other side of the story. A lawyer just wants to tell you their side and convince you that they're right. So that's just something to think about. All right. Have a great week. We will see you next week on She Became Visible. Please subscribe and like and share with um, all of your sisters out there. I encourage anyone to contact me that has a story. I'd love to hear it. But uh, And you can donate. I would love to have you donate on shebecamevisible.org. It's very easy to do. And I would really appreciate that. So have a great rest of the week and we'll talk next week. Okay, bye-bye.